listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. Oh my goodness, I'm loving this series and I'm so glad that you guys are here to be a part of it. Uh, those of you that are out in the tent, welcome. We're glad you guys are here as well. Um, please save me a donut. You know, we want, you can't eat all the donuts when you're out in the tent. You have to save a few for us. So thank you very much afterwards. Um, hey, we're, we're getting in, back into this series, Immovable. Everybody say Immovable. Immovable. It really is. Uh, we, we did a worship song um, at the very beginning of our worship set, and it was talking about our life being built on Christ, on God. And that's really what it's about. Having a life that is unshakable, immovable. When the waves and the chaos of life come at us, we can go, okay, this is going to be tough, but I'm not going to be shaken. And that's this series we're in as we're digging into God's word to help us be immovable and confident in the promises of God. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance yet, check out our podcast. Uh, Craig, our media director, uh, edits our, our services every single week, and he makes sure that they're up on podcasts by Wednesday. And so you can go back and check out past messages. Um, actually, this week I had a, a long drive. We were camping or living, I should say, living in our trailer. We call it kind of camping so that we can enjoy this while the house is being renovated. But uh, it was a long drive for some reason over to Anaheim Hills. It took me almost an hour to get to where we were camping from here. And uh, I thought, you know, what? I'm going to listen to one of our podcasts. And so I put it on and I was listening to my own voice. I'm thinking, so am I hearing this in my head? Is it coming over the speakers? It's kind of weird to listen to yourself. Let me, let me just tell you. But it it was kind of good because I'm listening to the message going, oh, man, that was good. Oh, that was good. That was a good story. I'm going to have to remember that story. I was really enjoying listening to me preach. So uh, I might start doing that regularly. <laughs> No, I want to encourage you, check out our podcasts as well as our, uh, our videos on YouTube, and you can go back and check out these messages. Okay, so we're, we're learning about many cultures and generations who have engaged in covenants, understanding what a covenant is. And I know we think, oh, it's just a word, but it's so much more when we read the Bible. Everybody say covenants. For this series of messages, we've defined a covenant in this way. Take a look on the screen. We said a covenant is a formal, intentional, and relational partnership that results in protection, provision, and purpose. That's what a covenant is. And last week, we looked at the four parts of a traditional covenant. This is just to kind of review you. Take out your life journals if you got them. Begin to take notes. These were the four parts that we looked at. In a traditional covenant, there was the terms of the covenant, the location, the ceremony, and the memorial. We found out all those little parts. And then I broke it down even more. I took a ceremony and I talked about the elements of a ceremony. These were what they were last week. I'm not going to go into great detail, but feel free to take a picture with your phone so that you can remember all the different elements of a covenant ceremony. And this is important because as we're going through scripture, you're going to begin to see how God practiced and, and initiated many of these elements as he formed a covenant with us. They're important to remember. And I imagine if you have studied the Bible in your lifetime, if you've spent some time in Scripture, you're already beginning to read it and go, oh, that's a covenant statement. Oh, wait a minute. That's a covenant practice. And so that's what we're going to be digging into. The first act 
of a covenant is found right in the beginning of the Bible. I promised you last week, I said, we're going to look throughout the Bible and see where God makes these covenants. The very first one, the first act that we see is right there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Right at the beginning of time. Matter of fact, the beginning of creation. When God makes this statement, he's making a covenant statement. And here's what he says in Genesis 2, 24. Take a look. He says this. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The original King James says, and they will cleave together and the two shall become one flesh. This is a covenant statement Two becoming one, the joining, the merging, the cleaving together Two individual, independent individuals becoming one interdependent body. This is a covenant statement. Matter of fact, later on in the New Testament, Jesus would repeat these exact same words when he would define what marriage is. He would say these words, forming an unshakable and immovable partnership. Now we see a few other covenant elements in the first couple of chapters. But for today, what we want to do is we want to camp out with one individual. The first time we actually hear the word covenant. Everybody say covenant. The importance of this is going to be felt over the next few weeks, I promise you. The first time we hear the word covenant is with a guy named Noah. Y'all know about Noah, right? Some of you remember Noah. Some of you have heard about Noah. Well, before we get into Noah's covenant story, here's what I want to do. I want to just kind of give a summary of what happened from Adam and Eve to Noah. I want to take three minutes to show you a quick video to explain a little bit about what the setting was as we talk about Noah today. So take a look. First part of Genesis begins with a creation story where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery chaos and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can that sounds nice. It does sound nice. In fact, seven different times God says of all that he's made, it is good. And this is where we meet the first human characters in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both individual characters, but they're also representative. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, and Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And God creates them in his image. In other words, humanity reflects, or is meant to reflect the the, the creativity, the goodness, and character of the Creator out into the world that He's made. And they're supposed to reproduce and make cultures and neighborhoods and art and gardens and everything else. But He gives them uh, a moral choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And this is what the tree of knowledge of good and evil is all about. And He tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will die. What's that all about? So up till now, God has been the one defining and providing what is good. And so God is the one with knowledge of good and evil. But now this tree represents a choice. Will the humans trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to seize the opportunity and define good and evil for themselves? And Adam and Eve eat the fruits. This is the core biblical explanation for that concept of sin. That desire to call the shots myself, it's the inward turn of the human heart to do what's good for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you and, and your tribe. And the problem is, humans are horrible at defining good and evil without God. 
And so now that humanity's made this choice, things get really, really, really bad. So Genesis 3 through 11 is like tracing this downward spiral of all, all of humanity. So Adam and Eve, they can't trust each other anymore. And so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good evil might be different than Eve's, and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives, like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story about God being angry, but that actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of this world. And so, out of his passion to preserve the goodness of this world, he washes it clean. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. He must be a pretty great guy. Well, he is a pretty great guy, and that's where we're going to pick up today. If you're a note taker, right on the top, Noah equals faithful. Noah equals faithful. This is what we're going to be talking about. We saw there in the video, and as we read Genesis, the story of Genesis, those first six chapters, we see that God makes everything good. And he gives the first humans, Adam and Eve, humanity life. He gives them creation as a gift. And he says, now simply choose to obey my ways or do things your way. And they do it. They disobey. And then sin enters into humanity and it begins to grow like a cancer. I love the imagery that it showed there. It was so well articulated that sin, like a cancer, would spread. And it would spread from generation to generation. Sadly, we see in those first few chapters that the sinfulness of humanity at that period in history grew so fast that it led to murder, to rape, and to slavery. It got really bad. We, we see some of the atrocities that are happening in the world today, and oftentimes they're limited to regions of the world or the peoples of the world, and then we see goodness roll in, and we see salvation and redemption take place. But what we read about here in history is that, well, it was not good, and it got really, really bad. Matter of fact, when we read Genesis chapter 6 directly from the Bible, take a look on the screen, it describes the condition of the world at that time. It says, so the Lord observed the extent. Oop. The Lord was sorry he had made. Oh, I think that, that's jumping a little bit ahead. But let me, let me read and then we'll, we'll, we'll come up to this part. I noticed that that might be a little bit off. Here's what it says. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. There it is. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and constantly totally evil. Think about that. Everything, all their thoughts were evil. 
There was no goodness. Oh, man. And so the next verse says, the Lord was sorry that he had made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. Oh, man. Rough, isn't it? It is rough. And the reason God is saying this is because he created humanity in his image. And even the name, Adam, representing humanity, and Eve, representing life. Murder was taking place. Violence was happening. Matter of fact, verses 9 through 12, I won't put them on the screen, go on to say that the earth had become so violent and so corrupt with its wickedness. The reason why God is, his heart is breaking is because humanity is destroying the life that he has given. God decides to reboot and wash it clean. Often we hear and popular culture will trivialize what it was that took place, the evilness that was happening, and then they exaggerate the anger of God. That God's wrath was poured down from heaven. But as we read in scripture, the actual thing that was motivating God wasn't anger. It was the pain he was feeling. When I go back and I read the original Hebrew texts, there in Genesis chapter 6, the original Hebrew words describing God's feeling were atsab eleb. Atsab eleb practically translated means God's heart in pain. God's heart was broken. This wonderful creation that God had meticulous, meticulously formed and gifted to humanity was now being abused, misused, corrupted, and destroyed. And God says, if it continues on this way, it will never last. But God in his faithfulness, in his love, begins to initiate a covenant with humanity. In the same way that a man comes to a woman and pursues her and looks for someone who is faithful, who is righteous, to extend an invitation, an engagement to come into a deeper relationship. God looks over all of humanity and he sees wickedness, he sees corruption, he sees violence, he sees pain, and he looks and he says every thought and intention of their heart is evil and wicked. But wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. There was one, one, one individual. Genesis chapter six, verse eight says the name of this individual, take a look. It says, but Noah, after we read all this stuff, it says, but Noah, everybody say, but Noah. But Noah found favor with the Lord. In all of humanity, there was just one. And God would invite Noah into a deeper relationship because of his faithfulness that would literally save his family and us, all of humanity. There was still hope. This kind of relationship would set the stage and be a precursor for God's redemption of all of humanity. It is actually a picture of God's redemption, saving 
and restoring. Pulling out of the corruption that which is righteous and magnifying it. The rest of chapter 6 tells us that God calls Noah and says, I'm going to give you some instructions. I need you to listen to these instructions and do as I say. And if Noah followed these instructions, his family would be saved. He would be saved. The animals in creation would be saved. And verse 22 of chapter 6 says this about Noah. Take a look. It says that Noah, let's all read this together. Ready? Begin. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, if you're a boss, if you're an employer, and you have employees, you give rules, you give regulations, you give direction for your employees so that the business can thrive, right? Wouldn't you like employees like Noah? That right? He did exactly as God had commanded. That's what we call faithful. If you have employees that aren't doing this, they probably won't be your employees very long, will they? No. You're looking for people who are faithful. This is a definition I want said of me. I want that spoken to me. Matter of fact, I would love, Leah, on my tombstone someday, if it's true, I know this is weird to talk about, <laughs> but I would love it to say, Kelly did exactly as God had said, as God had commanded him. Probably one of the greatest statements that can be said of any human being on earth. That you did exactly as God had said. You were found to be faithful. He, his faithfulness was noted by God. And he faithfully did what God said. Um, without going into great detail, uh, Noah, I mean, he went through a lot to build this boat called the ark, and he did it for over 100 years. You know he was being ridiculed and mocked as some religious crazy guy that supposedly heard from God, and now he's building this, this boat until the rain started and the thunder began. We had a little sample of that last night, didn't we? Thank God it wasn't, you know, the flood of the, back then. But he stayed faithful all the way through it. Chapters 6 through 8 give us a short narrative of the flood event. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. Because I want to focus in on the end of after the flood, what took place. At the end of chapter 8, Noah and his family, they exit the ark on dry ground. The first thing Noah does in verse 20 is he comes out and he offers a sacrifice to say thank you, God. With the cutting of animals. And if you were her, her, here last week, you would understand that that is one of the elements of forming a covenant. The cutting of animals. A blood covenant is beginning to take shape. And in this way, Noah responds to God's covenant offer. God offers him a deeper relationship. And Noah responds after being delivered with a sacrifice. And as a result of Noah's sacrifice, take a look at what it says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. It says, And the Lord was pleased with the sacrifice and said, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. God makes a promise. God makes a covenant with Noah 
that benefits all of humanity. Then as we jump into chapter 9, we hear the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. The first time in all of history. Chapter 9. Take a look. Beginning at verse 8. It says, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. See, God is he's emphasizing the fact that he's making a covenant. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will flood destroy all the earth. Then God said, I am, here we go, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you. And with all living creatures for all generations to come, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. You hearing it? Are you hearing these covenant statements? Come on. Let me continue. When I send the clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all earth. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow. Everybody say rainbow. rainbow. Come on. This rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. So here we have it. The first official covenant that God makes with humanity. Promise. And not just a promise, but a promise with, with the act of the cutting of animals. Promises and vows. And the seal of the covenant. Remember the list we talked about? Remember the tradition of a covenant ceremony? The tribal leaders would come together, and one of the things that they did, we talked about it last week, is the tribal leaders would take their right hand, and they'd make a, a cut on their right hand, and they'd raise the right hand. So they show all the tribes, we are now swearing to keep our covenant promise. And that wound would then fester up, and a scar would form, and instead of taking ointment and making it so the scar would disappear, they would purposely leave that scar there. They were proud of that scar. They would show that scar off. Matter of fact, they would gather, tribal leaders would gather with their tribes, and the king would, would hold up his right hand for his tribe to see at parties and at gatherings to remind the people, we are in covenant. I mean, again, think about it. If you're a farmer, right? You're the farming tribe. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. You're a farming tribe and you're doing all your farming and you hear word that a tribe down the road is starting to get ready for war and the drums start to beat and you start to hear the calls of war starting to form and you start to get nervous. You start to worry about your family. How's my, is my family going to live? I don't know. We got to do something. We got to, and, and your tribal leader would gather you together as you were starting to be filled with fear. And all he would do, all she would do is step in the middle of the tribe and hold up his right hand. Wouldn't even have to say anything. He'd hold up his right hand and they would all look and they'd see that scar. And you know what that scar would say? That's right. 
We're in covenant with the warriors across the valley. That's right. We don't have to fear, for they are bound to protect us. The tribal leader simply would hold his hand up and say, look, look. As a reminder to you, generation, and children, and older people, I am with you. The tribal leader would be saying, now take a look. Here is God. He's spoken to Noah. He's made vows. He's made covenant promises. And then what does he say? I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. You know what God literally did? God took his finger and he cut a scar in the sky. He scarred the sky for all to see. Do you know what a rainbow is? If you remember when you were a child, maybe you, you played with prisms or maybe you saw light coming through glass and you saw how white light would be scattered into all the colors of the rainbow. It's kind of interesting. Scientists say there are seven distinct colors in a rainbow, starting with ultraviolet all the way up to the, the, the final color of red, right? Ultraviolet and, and what's the final red one? Some, oh, uh, I can't remember the red one, <laughs> what it's called, but it's red. It's way up there on the top. Seven of them, which is very interesting because as you break white light down, there are seven distinct colors, visible colors in that rainbow. White light is now demonstrated into the seven characteristics of light. That's what a rainbow is. When you push all those colors back together, you get white light. Isn't it interesting that God would use a rainbow to represent his promise? His character. See, the Bible refers to God as light, as the source of all light, as pure light. And what does God do to remind us of his character, to remind us of his promises? He scars the sky so that all of eternity, all generations would now see, much like a tribal leader, would all see that scar. That's a promise from God. That's a covenant promise from God. The rainbow represents the characteristics of God, his love, his compassion, his promises that will be kept for eternity. Now today, different groups have adopted the rainbow as their insignia. Hawaiians look at their state and they call it the rainbow state. In Orange County, we have a sandal maker that is very popular with many people that has used the symbol of the rainbow to represent their company, and the LGBTQ community has adopted it as their logo. But before any of these groups took a hold of the rainbow and called it their own, God created it, for it is the sign of God's promises to each of us. God's love and his commitment to redeem humanity. He scarred the sky to say, I will keep my promises. Ladies and gentlemen, refinery, friends, when we look at a rainbow, we're not looking at a logo. We're not looking at a symbol. We're looking at a promise seal from God that says, I love you and I will keep my promises. Every time you see a rainbow, 
let it remind you that God will protect those he is in covenant with. God will provide for those who are faithful to his covenant. And God will save his covenant people from destruction. We learn from Noah. We learn from the life of Noah that God is looking to covenant with people who genuinely seek and trust him. Tatiana, would you mind jumping up here on the stage with me? Noah found favor with God. When all the world was corrupt, when the Bible says that all their thoughts and intents were evil and wicked, God looked and he found Noah, who was faithful. Faithful to a place where he says, I will make a covenant with you. I will bring my strength. I will bring my power. I will bring my promises to pass through you. This was God's heart. And do you know today God is still doing that? One of my favorite verses is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Take a look at this as the band begins to play. I love this verse. And if you're following with us online, read these words to yourself. You may even want to say them in your home, in your apartment, or in your car, wherever you're watching. Out under the tent, right here inside. Look what it says. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You see, that's a covenant statement. That's the God of the universe who created everything good. And humanity has corrupted it. And when it got so bad, God says, okay, well, I'll save humanity for the sake of this one faithful one. And then when this faithful one is saved, the faithful one begins to initiate and begins to follow with this covenant. And God says, I will covenant with you and forever I will scar the sky to remind you of my promises for you. God's eyes are looking throughout the earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are completely for him. God is still looking to support. He wants to support you. As we wrap up our time today, I want to encourage you, read Genesis, read those first few chapters and begin to read it with the eyes of a person that God is calling to be in covenant with. And you'll see the faithfulness of God. You'll see the power of God. You'll see his love demonstrated. Listen, God's not looking for perfection because he ain't going to find it, right? He even said that our hearts are wicked from the time we're children. But Jesus Christ came so that we could be redeemed and we could come into covenant with God through Jesus's blood, which we'll talk about more in the weeks ahead. His sacrifice for us. You see, when Noah came out of the boat, he offered a sacrifice that began to form this covenant with God. But God wanted to redeem all of humanity, you and me, and he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed that his blood would flow so that we could be saved. Today, God's eyes are looking across this auditorium, outside in this tent, and across the airwaves, looking to strengthen and support those whose hearts are completely his. Maybe today you need to recommit your heart. Say, God, I want to be faithful. 
I want it to be said about me that Kelly, Leah, Tyson, Craig, fill in your own name, did exactly as God has said. For Lord, that is the definition of faithful. Would you join me in prayer? Maybe you've been trying to do things in your own strength and in your own way. Today, the time is to let go and let God because he wants to support you and strengthen you. But you got to say yes to the invitation. And the invitation today is, God, I will make you my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. So today I want to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary into my life so that I can be in covenant with you. You can make that your prayer right now. You could just spend right time right where you're at, right now in this moment. Simply say, God, I want to come into a covenant relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of doing things in my own strength. Today, I commit my heart to you. Make that your prayer. And God will strongly support you. For he is in covenant and will keep his promises. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.